We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we will look at verse 17. You're wondering when we're going to finish with this chapter, but um, and it might be today. Probably will be today. So uh, <clears throat> I will begin with verse 16, uh, because uh, 17 is part of that sentence that begins there. But let's hear God's word. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord, and may He write it on our hearts and change our very lives. By that word, let us pray. Father, thank you for the word, for the fact that it is God-breathed. Thank you that it's uh, been given to us, written down, preserved. And we pray for the Holy Spirit's help, uh, Lord, as I preach and as you speak. Lord, through the preaching, uh, may you, uh, Lord, superintend every uh, thought and word. And then, Lord, superintend our lives uh, to, to let us be led by that word, for it is a light to our feet and a lamp to guide our path. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible in your hands, you have a very special book, don't you? You have a God-breathed book. You have the very words of God. You read it, you hear it read, you hear it preached. It is God's voice to you. Uh, it was inspired uh, for, of course, a reason. God does everything with purpose. It is an eternal purpose, but its purpose uh, is to lead you, first of all, to salvation in Jesus Christ, and then uh, being saved, knowing Christ, uh, you are to begin, you, at that very moment of faith in him, you begin that process of being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Renewed with what? The Word of God. And that four-step uh, process that we looked at last week in verse 16 uh, is that the Scripture, first of all, uh, it, it, it teaches us, it, it gives us uh, the knowledge of God uh, is profitable for doctrine. And then secondly, for reproof, for conviction of our sin which is needful, and then for correction, and finally for instruction, or better, uh, a better word is training, discipline, or training in righteousness. So the, whole, the goal of the scriptures is that you may be reconciled to God in Jesus Christ, be saved from your sins, and then grow in that relationship, grow in your knowledge of God, grow in maturity uh, in your faith and practice. So uh, but why become mature in your faith? Uh, uh, there's, there's more. There's more. Verse 17 gives us several reasons or purposes for uh, this, this development, this growth in grace. And uh, verse 17 begins with what is referred to in Greek grammar as a henna clause. And, and henna, uh, H-I-N-A in English, the English transliteration, can be translated uh, that, or in order that, or so that. And it is a clause that has 
the idea of purpose or result. Uh, it, it can be a purpose or a result, and maybe both. Uh, so it, the thing is, is that Scripture, by use of the Scriptures, we are changed uh, through that process in verse 16, so that, uh, or resulting in, uh, for the purpose of being complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So uh, you and I, here's two things. Uh, you and I are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, that we might go to heaven. Uh, we're being sanctified so that we might serve the Lord here on earth. And I want us to talk briefly about justification, which is all about the righteousness of Christ. Just for a moment, as a, as a, as a preface to what I'm going to continue to say about sanctification. We're really, we've really been focusing in, uh, in verse 16, on sanctification. But in order to be saved and be right with God, you and I must have a perfect, perfect righteousness. And, and that, of course, is, nothing, is something that none of us can achieve. Because we've all sinned, we all continue to sin and fall short of that perfect righteousness. So that's why God sent his son into the world to live a perfectly righteous life. He was without sin. And that that he might credit his righteousness to our account uh, who trust in him. So the moment you trust in the Lord as your Savior, uh, his perfect record of keeping the law, obeying every commandment, is, is attributed to you, is given to you, is, is uh, imputed to you and reckoned to your account. And, and, and that gracious gift of Christ's righteousness is the only way you can be right with God, the only way you can be accepted by him. Uh, it's the only way you can uh, be accepted by him now and live forever in heaven. And on that basis alone, uh, you have eternal life. Uh, so, as Paul says elsewhere, it's not by works. Uh, there's nothing that we can do to earn or deserve this, and that's why we're justified by faith alone. Uh, and so this righteousness of Christ is a gift received by faith, but the, that's the righteousness of justification. The righteousness of sanctification is another thing. It is a little different. And so I didn't really say much about that in, in last week's sermon. The very last word of verse 16, it says uh, for, that the scripture is given for instruction in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness. And that righteousness there is not referring to the righteousness of justification. It is the righteousness uh, that God the Holy Spirit is producing in us day by day and that actually takes place in our lives. And, of course, it has nothing to do with our righteous standing before God. That's the righteousness of justification. Um, so, remember, if you are in Christ by faith, uh, then you are fully justified and completely justified the moment you believe. There's no improvement. There's no growth there. It's done. It's complete. But if you're in Christ, you're also a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And, and, and as I said, you, you enter that process of change that continues until the day you die. Uh, it, it, it's 
It's a continual process of growth. And so if you and I remain committed to this biblical process of change using the scriptures, this biblical training regimen, if you will, then the result is a righteous life. Righteousness will result. Actual righteousness. Um, and, and it's not a perfect life. It's not perfect righteousness. That's the righteousness of Christ received by faith. But this righteousness is uh, a character. It, it, it is a character development, and that character is the character of Christ Himself. Uh, in the chapter on sanctification, the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, mentions uh, the following: uh, that although the reality is that there's remaining corruption in the believer, in the one who's been justified. And that for, it says for a time that remaining corruption may much prevail. Yet, through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part does overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So the question is, are you growing in grace? And, and that's maybe difficult to determine. Uh, it's like, you know, and, and it, you know, is your hair combed right now? Is your hair out of place? Well, you don't know until you look in, in a mirror. You know, it's hard to gauge uh, your, you know, yourself. You know, are you are you growing in grace? Are you being sanctified? Well, maybe someone else can tell you uh, better. But the thing is. Uh, you can grow in grace. God enables you. God has, has called you to it, and he will enable you uh, to make progress in the faith and, and, and to, de- to develop a righteous character. Uh, you and I are not meant to live defeated lives. Again, the confession says sometimes uh, you know, the, the, the remaining corruption much prevails. Uh, but on the whole... Uh, we are enabled uh, to have victory over sin and temptation. We will continue to sin. Romans uh, chapter 6 says, though, uh, in spite of that, sin no longer has dominion over us. We're now under the dominion of Christ and of his grace, and we need to have confidence uh, in such uh, promises as we hear in the word, such as Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's begun to work in you and on you and through you to change you. He'll continue that till the end. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us victory. I like what Jay Adams says about this in his book, How to Help People Change, that I referenced last week. This is a long quote, but it should be easy to understand. Dr. Adams wrote the following. He said, there's been too much teaching among Christians that would imply, if not say explicitly, that it's virtually impossible for a Christian to live a life that's pleasing to God. While teaching the attainability of sinless perfection in this life would surely be wrong, It is every bit as wrong to resign ourselves to standards and expectations below what God has in mind for us. What I'm saying, Dr. Adams said, is that there has been an overemphasis among some upon the continued sinfulness of the Christian. 
Some have severely downplayed the possibility of gaining real victories in the battle against sin. They have not proclaimed clearly, loudly, or consistently enough that God has made every provision for defeating sin and for spiritual growth. Like a lot of things in the Christian life, there, there are two sides, right? The, the remaining corruption, the reality of it. Uh, there's remaining sin. There's a, there's a battle between flesh and spirit. But there's also the promise uh, and provision of God for defeating sin and for spiritual growth. So let's assume that you're growing spiritually. Uh, let's assume you're, you are at some level overcoming sin and temptation and righteous character is being developed in your life through the diligent use of the means of grace, scripture being the primary means of grace. But again, why? Why? Verse 17. Uh, now we'll finally get into the verse itself. But it tells us the purpose of this process is that the man or woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let's take it a bit at a time. Uh, who is, who or what is the man of God? Uh, in the Old Testament, often prophets are referred to as a man or the man of God. You, you'll read about, sometimes it's an un, uh, you know there are places where it's an unnamed prophet, and it just says, and a man of God came along and spoke thus and such, thus says the Lord, and so on. Uh, and, and that prophet was a man of God. In the New Testament, certainly, the, the minister of the gospel, the preacher of the gospel, is a man of God called and sent by Christ to preach his word. So ministers under the new covenant today, uh, we're called to preach and teach the scriptures uh, uh, interpreting them rightly, rightly dividing the word of truth, as Paul said, in order that sinners might be saved and saints might be edified. Uh, and he's going to say more about that, of course, in chapter four. He begins, you know, uh, you know, I charge you, uh, you know, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. He's going to say to Timothy, uh, but. So one purpose of Scripture is that the man of God be competent and fully qualified for every aspect of the ministry, for preaching, for, for counseling, for shepherding, and, and on and on we could go. And Paul was speaking directly and primarily to Timothy as one who had been called uh, to be a man of God, to be an official servant uh, ordained and, 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 and called and ordained to that work. He says, Timothy, the scriptures, the scriptures will equip you. The scriptures uh, make you complete and equip you for service. However, in the New Testament, it's not only those who are called and ordained to the ministry, to the office of uh, pastor teacher. Uh, all Christians, you see, uh, are ministers. We studied in, in Sunday school in Revelation chapter 5 that Saints are priests and kings unto God. And, uh, you know, that's repeated in other places in the New Testament. And that's talking about all believers. Ephesians 4 says that pastors and teachers are given to the church. Uh, the gift of pastor-teacher is so that 
the saints can be equipped for the work of ministry. And that means all you saints out there are ministers uh, of uh, the word in, in your own realm, whether it's in the home, uh, the workplace, community, uh, or the church. And um, Dr. Hendrickson, uh, in, in his commentary, uh, wrote in, on verse 17, commenting that the man of God is the believer. Every believer viewed as belonging to God as in, and as invested with the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king is here given this title. You see, in Christ, Christ is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. But because we are his, we belong to him, uh, we, by his grace, are also uh, can, to be considered as, as, as prophet, priest, and king in a, in a subsidiary, secondary way. Now, the man of God or, or woman of God is to be a person who is filled with the word, uh, with the knowledge of the Bible and the influence, the personal influence of the Bible on their lives. So filled with the word that we are thereby complete or, or perfect, as some translations have it. And that doesn't mean without sin, of course. It means that we're simply complete. And the Greek word is artios. Artios, and it means to, to fit or adapt for a specific use. Uh, and, and so fit and adapt that, that you have everything, uh, that you have every skill, every ability, everything you need to do whatever task it is. Uh, and it, it, it can signify a whole number in math. Uh, you, there's nothing to add to that number to make it whole or complete. Uh, and, uh, and so no... Supplemental information is necessary for you and me uh, to be complete as those who are called to minister um, for him. Uh, it doesn't matter from what source, whether science, psychology, uh, you know, uh, from, you know, popular, uh, you know, pop psychology, uh, philosophy, whatever. None of that stuff is, is necessary uh, to be added in to make us complete or to perfect us. Scripture sufficient. It's adequate to make the man of God complete in our service to God. Scottish uh, theologian John Murray, who taught at Westminster Seminary, he, he wrote the following. He said, there's no situation in which we are placed, no demand that arises for which Scripture, as the manifold wisdom of God, is not adequate and sufficient. So, uh, you're a servant of God. You're a Christian, and God has equipped you. You're adequate. You're complete uh, uh, in Him with the Scriptures uh, in your hands and in your mind. Next, in verse 17, He says that believers are thoroughly equipped, and this is an even more intensive term than the previous one. <clears throat> it was used in antiquity to refer to uh, a ship that was fully rigged, thoroughly equipped. Think about. Uh, ships, before a ship was to set sail, uh, all the supplies necessary for that journey were stowed on board the ship. Of course, there would be food and water and medicine and other supplies, extra canvas to make sails that might be damaged during the, the journey. And, uh, and so um, a fully rigged ship, of course, is much more likely to make it to the destination and back um, it, you know, than one that was not rigged uh, completely. 
So to the, the scriptures fully equip us, they fully rig us out uh, for this life. And um, in the pages of scripture, you see, we find that, that God has stowed every principle, every a bit of wisdom, every bit of direction that we need uh, for serving him in, in his kingdom and, and uh, in his church. And so scripture not only results, in, it's not only just so that you can grow uh, and become mature, but upon that growth or as that growth is taking place, uh, it's so that you could do something, actually do something for God and for his kingdom on the earth, we are being thoroughly, we are thoroughly equipped by the scriptures to do good works. Good works. That's what Paul says. We're equipped for every good work. Every good work. The Bible tells us in Ephesians we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but we are his workmanship. Created in Christ for good works. And even those works are prepared uh, from eternity that we should walk in them. And the question is, one question is anyway, what are those good works? Uh, how, how do we find out what they are? Well, in light of the context of this passage, good works are those that are spelled out in the Bible. Uh, a work, uh, nothing can be considered a good work unless it is, has biblical uh, justification. In a chapter on good works, our confession of faith says this. It says good works are only such as God has commanded in his holy word. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and, and then it goes on to say, not as such as without warrant of scripture are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intention. And so it's, uh, to do a good work, you need biblical authorization and, and, and biblical commandment, really. Uh, you cannot just say, well, I, you know, I think I know what, what God would want you know, uh, me to do, and 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 I'll think up my own good works. No, no, no. God has already told us the works He wants us to do, and so uh, we, we think of the Roman Catholic Church as an example of of the wrong way of approaching this. Roman Catholic Church says if you pray the Rosary, if you pray to Mary, if you pray to the saints, or pray for the dead saints. Uh, that supposedly, and, and you light a candle, whatever you do, um, that you're doing a good work. You're doing good works. Uh, but these supposed good deeds are, are not authorized in any sense by Scripture, and they also contradict Scripture. They contradict the Bible. So it, it doesn't matter how sincere you are. Uh, it, it, it does not matter um, what your intentions are. Good works must be and can only be that which God has commanded in his word. Um, so good works. We don't talk a lot about good works uh, in, in Reformed churches because we, uh, we know that we can't be saved by them. And so we're a little bashful about it because we, nobody wants to be accused, oh, that preacher was preaching good works. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that'd be bad, wouldn't it? No, it, it, in the right context, of course, Paul preached good works uh, for those who are saved by grace through faith alone. Uh, so good works can't save us, but they're ordained by God for many good purposes. Uh, and, and, and there are a number listed in the confession. I won't quote the confession, but some of those are, for example, uh, that good works are a visible evidence 
uh, that our faith in Christ is real. Uh, and, and by doing good works, we show our thankfulness to God for his salvation. Through doing good works, we also uh, strengthen the assurance of our salvation. But we also edify and uh, encourage one another uh, by good works. Uh, good works go hand in hand with preaching the gospel. The Bible says that they adorn the profession of the gospel. Uh, we understand, you know, what it's like for someone to preach the gospel, but everybody knows that person is living a derelict life, so the gospel is not going to be uh, received from that person because they're contradicting uh, the message. So, so good works adorn the profession of the gospel. It makes the gospel attractive to others, and, and of course, doing true good works. And, and we also need to include they need to be done with the right motive, you know, for the good of others and the glory of God. But doing true good works will bring glory to God. Uh, let your light shine, Jesus said, and, and before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. A couple of things we need to re- remember about doing good works. And, and first of all, that uh, our good works are only accepted acceptable and pleasing to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So everything we do must be done with the recognition that Christ is the mediator, uh, not only of our salvation, but of, of the works that we do. And then secondly, we need to remember that our ability to do good works comes only by the work of the Spirit of God uh, in our lives. And knowing these things, of course, recognizing uh, the distinction between justification and sanctification, and on and on. Each one of us should then pursue good works. Pursue good works. Um, and Titus 3.8 says, Those who believe in Christ, who believed in God, should be careful to maintain good works. Titus 2.14, Christ gave himself that, uh, for us that he might redeem us and purify himself for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. You should be zealous for good works. And then finally, Titus 3.1 says that we should be ready for every good work. A lot of, a lot of good works there in Titus. But uh, think about this. Our main task as a church, as a people, is the Great Commission in this world. We're, God's left us here to carry this commission out until he comes. And he calls us to make disciples, to evangelize, uh, and, and then to teach those who, who are converted to Christ. And how do, the, how do good works fit into this great commission that we're to carry out? Well, I was reading a newsletter from some of our missionaries this week, and this is from the Van Dalen uh, family, uh, Frank and Emily Van Dalen, who serve in uh, Frank preaches uh, and as a pastor of the church of a church, a reformed church in Lithuania. And Emily Van Dalen in this newsletter uh, uh, recently uh, related that she had received a very encouraging note from a fellow colleague in that area over there in Eastern Europe. And uh, in that note, this person, this friend of theirs, quoted from the journal of a missionary named Lilius Trotter, uh, and the journal. Uh, was dated April 25th, 1891. So from Lilius Trotter, uh, Trotter's journal, she wrote the following. 
which uh, was written down for uh, in, for the Van Dalens to encourage them. And uh, Miss Trotter said, I've been thinking lately, what a work for God it is, just loving people. He says in Deuteronomy 22, and this is an interesting, uh, uh, I think it's more of an analogy uh, to bring in, but it says, if an ox or a donkey has gone astray, then you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you, uh, until your brother seeks after it. She said, I think he gives us a similar service for souls, wandering souls that we cannot bring back to him. Uh, sometimes all we can do is keep them near us and show them the kindness of God and hold them in faith and prayer until he comes to seek them. And so, of course, we all want to see people come to Christ, come to faith in Christ. Well, we're powerless to convert them. And, of course, we, we want to give them the gospel. Uh, but we don't often uh, have that opportunity. And so what should we do until the Lord calls them and gives them a desire to know him? Uh, we give them our lives. Paul said in Thessalonians, we gave you not only the gospel of God, but we gave you our very lives. And so that's what we do. And, uh, and we keep them near in our own hearts, in our lives, and in our prayers until the Lord uh, might open their heart and seek them. Uh, love them until they desire to hear the word. That may be a long time sometimes with people. And, uh, and that's a challenge. Uh, but as we do good to people, as we do good works and, and love people, then we'll, we'll also see those opportunities to give them uh, the gospel. And, and be sure, too, to love one another in the body of Christ because the world's watching us. And, the, and Jesus said, you know, by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So, to sum it all up, God's word sanctifies us. It makes us complete. Uh, it equips us thoroughly for every good work. And those good works point Others to Christ, who is the source of all that is good. There's no goodness in us. Uh, all that is good is in Him. And that's what we want to point to Him. And in Christ, and by means of His Word and Spirit, we are complete in this ministry. And we're fully equipped to serve Him uh, through good deeds and, hopefully, gospel proclamation. So, uh, think of yourself as a man or woman of God called to serve in his kingdom. He's given you something to do, not just sit and soak, not just grow and become more holy, and, and then, you know, so that you can, again, just sit there, uh, but do something for him, for his kingdom. And, and, and so think about these things, and may the Lord uh, add his blessing uh, and enable us to, uh, to follow and heed his instructions uh, that we've heard here today. Let's pray. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the finished work of our Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, there is no good that we could do to gain eternal life. It's all been done. Uh, you are the only one who is good, for you were, are and were God in the flesh, and you never sin. So we thank you for your perfect righteousness, but we also thank you for the righteousness being developed in us as your people, little by little, 
uh, Lord, uh, we are being transformed by the renewal of our minds. Help us to stay in the word, to really grow in our knowledge of you in the scriptures, and then to realize that we are complete, uh, that we have been thoroughly furnished, equipped, and rigged for uh, service in your kingdom. And then show us, Lord, how and where to go about doing the works that you've called us to do. We, we, we know, Jesus, you told us that even uh, giving a cup of cold water in your name, uh, it will not be forgotten. And we thank you for the reward, rewards, Lord, uh, for the works that we do, enabled by your Spirit, and in and through only our Lord and Savior, the Mediator, Jesus. So, Lord, uh, help us to do those works. Uh, relying on you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we continue uh, in worship, as we close out our service, let us turn to number uh, five.